It's so good to be here. I believe there is uh, more uh, as, uh, as was spoken earlier, and I want to jump right into the flow of that. Uh, as we are in Ezra, we're going to be in Ezra chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 23, uh, and we're going to read through Ezra chapter 5, verses, uh, verse 5, and starting at Ezra chapter 4, verse 23, and uh, we're going to conclude Ezra chapter 5, verse 5. Now, in case you are panicking, thinking that's a lot of scripture, um, that's the last two verses of Ezra chapter 4. Uh, some of you are like, I don't read multiple chapters in a day, you know. Uh, <laughs> so Ezra chapter 4 out of the Christian Standard Bible, which is the CSB. Uh, and the word of the Lord reads, it says, As soon as the text of King Artaxerxes' letter was read to Rahum and Shemshai, the scribe, and their colleagues, they immediately went to the Jews in Jerusalem and forcibly stopped them. Verse 24, chapter 4 says, Now the construction of God's house in Jerusalem has stopped and remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. But when the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Idu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jazadak, began to rebuild God's house in Jerusalem. The prophets of God were with them, helping them. At that time, Tatanai, the governor of the region west of the Euphrates River, uh, Shetabazani, and their colleagues came to the Jews and asked, Who gave you the order to rebuild this temple and finish the structure? They also asked them, What are the names of the workers who are constructing this building? But God was watching over the Jewish elders. These men wouldn't stop until a report was sent to Darius so they could receive written instructions about this matter. I want to go back to, 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 verse, to verse 1 of Ezra chapter 5. And it says, But when the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Idu, prophesied to the Jews who were, in Jeru- who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, in the name of the God of, the Isra- of, of Israel who was over them, Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, and Jeshua, son of Jazadak, began to rebuild God's house. Values for a title, topic, subject, and focus for our time together, it would be simply unstuck. I like a little participation, so can you look at your neighbor and ask them, are you stuck? Uh, that might have been the wrong neighbor. Look at the other neighbor and tell them, get unstuck. Amen. Amen. Uh, as we look at, as we look at this, this text in Ezra, hopefully today, we'll be able to cover just a few principles that I believe that shows us the turning point for these folks that are here in Ezra. We find a people that have an opportunity, but they are stuck. They're in a place of promise, but they're not living according to the promise. And so as we look in this text, there's a couple principles that I believe that will help us today, especially at this prophetic gathering and in this moment together. Um, and one of the things is we're going to hear the power of the proclamation of the word of God and the work that should follow. With that being said, let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we're grateful for this opportunity to be here together. Lord, we believe that you're already here. So God, we want to tap into your presence. Whatever it is that you have for us to receive, may you open up our ears and our eyes and our hearts, our souls, that we may receive all of what you have for us. God, I pray, Lord, in this moment, if there are people that are here that are stuck in a situation, 
made by the end of this word, made by the end of this gathering, that they will be unstuck. Father, I pray now, Lord, that your power will rest, rule, and abide in this place. But not just in this place, but rest, rule, and abide in our lives. Father, I pray even as I preach now, God, hide me behind your cross, that no flesh glories in your presence. And if people don't remember who Chris Johnson is, may they remember that Christ Jesus is their Savior. And to you be all the honor, glory, and praise in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, what I realized when you talk about this word stuck, that means you're at a place where you can't move. And, and I, I, have a, I have a personal story. I was wrestling if I should share it because it's kind of embarrassing and slightly dangerous, which I have found those normally make good stories. I, I remember I was, I was on the road and I was driving. And while I was driving, my eyelids decided to have a meeting. And then the ditch bank jumped in the middle of the road. And, and all of a sudden, my car that was on the road and my eyes that were open, that were closed, and everything just kind of got blurry for a moment. And I woke up, and I was, I was, on, I was on the side of the road going about uh, 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 a speed. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and luckily, I'm on Interstate 64, and the speed limit was 65 or 70. Now, everything about what happened should have ended in my death. Aren't you so glad that God keeps you sometimes? He wakes you up right in the nick of time. That wasn't even in the sermon. That just helped me. And, and I remember waking up, panicking, adrenaline out the wazoo, and all of a sudden I'm gripping the steering wheel. I'm just trying not to run into the thicket of trees beside me. I remember a branch hitting the windshield, and I kept going, and then finally I got away from the woods. And, and, and I did not get back on the road, and I was stuck in the ditch bank. Now, here's the crazy thing that got me. I survived the accident, but yet I was still stuck. The car was still drivable, but yet I had to call a tow truck, not because I was dead, not because the car was dead, but because I was stuck in the mud. Isn't it amazing how you can get out of something that's so major and get stuck by something that's so small? <laughs> oh, I know some of us are thinking back right now to yesterday. I mean, last year. <laughs> about some of the things we avoided just to get stuck in the muck. And I found myself at this point spinning and spinning and spinning, which reminded me my tires were good, my engine was good, my transmission was good, my car was intact, I was in my right mind, I had no collision at all, but I had to call some help because I was stuck. Now, when I, when I look at this, see, understand that a, a, a rut is what you get stuck in. See, a rut is an imprint in the ground that's normally made by something that's heavy, that has some weight. That rut is an impression in the ground. If that rut is deep enough, then you get stuck in that rut. Y'all follow me? What I found is oftentimes Satan doesn't want us to just keep on going smooth, so he tries to make a rut in certain areas of our lives. And when that rut gets deep enough, let me make it plain, when that depression, when that addiction, when that struggle, when that mindset gets deep enough, now you're stuck in the rut. Now some of us have come here, whether you have diagnosed it or recognized it, you are stuck. It's not that your mechanics of your spirituality are off. It's that for some reason, it's difficult for you to move forward. 
Now, what I find is, is that oftentimes, like I said, you can survive an accident and still be stuck. Uh, and oftentimes, you'll find yourself delivered, but yet still in bondage. Uh, see, there was this moment when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, when the slaves were free, that some of them decided to stay on the plantation. Because what we recognize, the bondage wasn't just physical and by law. The bondage was also mental and internal. And oftentimes you could be delivered from your external oppression, but yet still dealing with the internal oppression. <laughs> and so what we find in Ezra, we find a people who are living in the prophecy of Jeremiah from Jeremiah 29, 11. Let me add verse 10 too, because verse 10 says in 70 years, you will be delivered. I have good thoughts towards you. You know, people just like to quote Jeremiah 29. Oh, he got good plans for your hope in the future in 70 years, homie. <laughs> in 70 years. Don't you go willy-nilly with that. <laughs> Pump your brakes, get comfortable, build a house, plant some gardens. How about that? Have some kids, all right? Read it in context. You don't get delivered that quick. Let me teach you something. Prophetic. <laughs> Prophetic patience. All right, so... <laughs> And so we find that, that these folks in Ezra are the ones who are living in that post-70-year moment. Jeremiah prophesied the people were about to go into exile. While they were in exile, Daniel has a dream. He wakes up. He says, oh, it's the 70 years. Yes, I made it. And these folks are the ones that have been delivered from Babylonian captivity and Assyrian captivity. And they have come back to Jerusalem into the promised land ready to rebuild the temple. They have been released by law. And here it is. They come and they start building. They got their little Legos, their brick and their mortar. Their, their mortar and they just going there. They building Bob the Builder. He came out to check them out and everything. It's going good. And we find that while they're building it, that there are some people who have been occupying the promised land while they were gone. I, I don't want to meddle too much with this, but when you are not living in promise, there is still something renting that land from you. Yeah, and, and so it's like we have one of the guys that was placed was Tatanai, who, 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 uh, who, who was not a 100% Jewish person, but he had some, he was kinfolk kind of, like he was mixed and Samaritan, that's what I'm saying. And, and we find that while they were out of the promised land, you had some people who were in the promised land, but they were not living according to the promise. They were in the promised land, but not living according to the promise. Let me help you. Your proximity is not always your breakthrough. Okay. There was a woman who was in the temple, <laughs> who was still in bondage for years. It wasn't until Jesus spoke that she was free. There was another man who would be brought right, right to the waters where it, was, where it was being stirred for people to be healed. But yet he still hadn't been healed until he had an encounter with Jesus. See, sometimes we have confused our proximity with the promise. But don't you know the promise is what makes the proximity important? Was that too many peas for you this morning? I know some of y'all ready for lunch. <laughs> Understand the promise is what makes the land unique. And so the actual land of Cana, what made it unique was not that it had the big grapes. What made it unique was that God spoke a word that this is where my people would dwell. And so the promised land is only the promised land because the creator has deemed it to be the promised land. And so when they come back to the promised land, the problem is they forsook the promiser. 
And so they come back to the promised land. You got Tatanai, you got some Samaritans, some mixed breed folks that's been there but not living according to promise. And so when the people come out of exile, they come ready to build. They come ready for revival. And here it is, they start building. And then Tatanai in Ezra chapter 4, he begins to ask them a question. He's like, oh man, this is awesome. So good to see you guys. I've been holding it down for you guys while y'all were gone. Um, We've been worshiping your God uh, along with some other gods. But, you know, we've been worshiping your God too. And how about this? I see y'all about to rebuild the temple. Now, here's the thing. The temple had been torn down for years. And they just looked at it being torn down. Let me help you. Some people you're around, if they're okay with the mess, you need to create some distance. I'm I'm still meddling. Let me hurry up. Tatanai and those folks that were in the promised land, not, not living according to the promise, were okay with the temple being destroyed because their priority was not to worship the Lord. And so when the people who came back, knowing that God has freed us once again in order to worship the Lord, they come and they're ready to build. And Tatanai comes and says, man, let us build with you. Come on, man. <laughs> My man. <laughs> let me see y'all working on some stuff, you know. Look like you got a good little start here, foundation. That's good. Hey, let me and my crew get it. Put me on. Put me on. Y'all have been around people always looking for a hookup. Yeah. Maybe that's African-American colloquialism. People, people always looking for a discount, looking for a connect, uh, or people looking to network. They see, they see your business finally took off, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know, I was wondering if I you know, put a business card, you know, right there on the poster board. Not everybody who wants to connect with you is meant to connect with you. And part of this gathering is to help heighten your discernment. There are some people that should benefit from you obeying God, but not everybody's going to help you obey God. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference. Because Tatsana, he was like, "Let let us partner with you. And then his true intentions were revealed. And when they said, so, 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 so Zerubbabel, which was the high priest at that time, Joshua is another name for him, uh, and, and, and the other heads of the Israelite family, they, they said, nah, we good. Well, you, nah, we, we're fine. You know, we got this. You ever had some people that want to help you with something? And they, they almost will get in your way before they help you. So they come, let me help you. No, nah, actually, <laughs> actually, you just keep about 10 feet away. You can watch the whole thing, but don't you touch a thing. Maybe I'm in my parenting years now, and I always get to help you, and I've learned from Pastor Brett's story, sometimes just do it. Let, let them help you build things in the house, even if it takes double the time. Anyway, but these are the people that you're not, these are the people that you're not supposed to connect with. <laughs> and so, here's the thing. I always, every time I read this story, and I read stories like this, you see it in Nehemiah too. It's like, you see their true heart's intent, because when they get a no, you see how they respond. You really want to see some people that's ready to grow, see how they respond to a no. So, they, so, 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 so Zerubbabel and the, and, the, and the heads of the Israelite house, they said, no, nah, you know what, don't, don't help us, we're, we're good right where we are. Then Tatanah pulls this move. It's like the guy who's trying, to, who's trying to get with the girl, trying to holler at the girl, trying to get a number, trying to get on a date, trying to take her out for, something, for some steak and just sweet water tavern and all that good stuff. And so, so he comes, hey, <laughs> you know, I saw you looking at me while I was looking at you. I think the way our DNA differs, I think it makes a good chemistry. Come on. I know you've been waiting on me. I'm your Boaz. Church joke. <laughs> right? And then the girl be like, 
Actually, no. 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 I'm not going to comment how your breath smells. I'm not going to comment. No. Just no. And then he responds like this. You ain't all that anyway. You ugly anyway. I didn't want to be with you. <laughs> Hold on. What happened to all the game you were just spent home? <laughs> it just... And so Tatsu and I, that's what he did. They said no. He says, watch this. Y'all ain't building nothing. Sorry, improper English. You all will not build anything on my clock. Stop. Drop. Shut them down. Open up. Shop. Oh. No. (laughs) And so, Tatsu and I, he launches a political, systemic, spiritual attack against those Jews who are trying to rebuild a temple. And what we find in Ezra chapter 4, he writes a letter. And he's like the kid that's been put in charge of the other kids while the teacher go out of the classroom that he's supposed to write everybody's name down who's taught. And there, Billy <laughs> threw a spitball at Tina. Tina dropkicked him. Like, so... He writes an entire letter to King Artaxerxes saying, listen, these people, they're trying to rebuild a temple. Did you really give them permission? And until you respond back to us, we're going to do what we have to do to stop them. That's Ezra chapter 4, the Chris Johnson version. And so we come to Ezra chapter 4, verse 23. I figure if I get you laughing, you'll be all right, because right here it gets a little thick. Verse 23, Ezra chapter 4, it says that then all the folks who were trying to stop them, they forcibly stopped the Jews from rebuilding the temple. Verse 24, Ezra chapter 4, it says, Now the construction of God's house in Jerusalem has stopped and remained a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius, which is about 15 years. All of a sudden, these people that have been freed from Babylonian and Assyrian captivity, they have been freed, they have been delivered, and they're rebuilding the temple just to find themselves in bondage again looking at the work they should be completing stuck (laughs) have you ever noticed that every step of faith requires another step of faith that you never graduate until he comes back and some of us we we resting on the loyals and we resting on we resting on the victories from yesterday but let me tell you you got enough battles today that you need to keep winning And so here it is. They've been freed. And you think that faith journey is good. Man, we were in captivity. We out. But now you see that internal bondage rises up again. And this, what I find, is what helps us get unstuck. When they are stuck in this moment, we find in verse 1 of chapter 5 is the turning point. But when the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Idu, prophesied, to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the same, in, in, in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them, Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, and Joshua, son of Jazadak, began to rebuild God's house in Jerusalem. The prophets of God were with them, helping them. Fifteen years of being stuck. Fifteen years of living in oppression. Fifteen years of reminding themselves of who they used to be. Fifteen years of now living in the defeat that they thought they had overcome. Some of you all have not been living in 15 years of defeat, but you've been stuck for some time. You've been stuck in your thinking. You've been stuck in your ideologies. You've been stuck in your theology. You're still wondering why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, and you all of a sudden just forgot Romans 8, 28, that all things work out together for the good. So if something bad happened, it's an ingredient for something good. We get stuck in these worldly ideologies, quote-unquote, calling ourselves woke, but don't you know the Bible been told us to wake up? 
And so we get stuck because of the oppression around us. And here's the thing. It lets us know right here because they were obeying God to rebuild a temple, to rebuild a temple so they can worship him, so they can honor him. The attacks against you are not just against you. I have some good news and bad news. And I'm going to say it in one sentence. You're not that important. Good news. You're not that important. Bad news. Burst your ego. You're not that important. Satan doesn't just attack you because you're cute. He attacks you because you're connected to God. <laughs> Satan is a, he's an accuser of the brethren. But the only reason why he will want to attack me is because I'm connected to the one he can't be. So he figured if he could frustrate me enough, I could stop believing in him. I can stop believing in God and start trusting in Satan. And some of us are functional atheists. We say we got all the faith in the world, but we'd rather remain stuck than be free. All right. The turning point in this story is verse 1 and 2. Haggai and Zechariah open up their mouth. After 15 years, they've been sitting there, they've been watching it, and they finally had an unction. Had a quickening. Something hit him. Hey! I don't know what took him so long, but it got him. Now, I was raised in the Baptist church. We didn't quicken. Boy, but when I gave my life to Christ, I was in a hole in this church. They quicken. And when they get a hey, you better get ready. Hey! All right. I'm telling you, they will lay hands on you. They don't bow. If you try not to go down. Sorry. Sorry. I, I apologize. So, Haggai and Zechariah, back to the text. Something inside of them began to be stirred. And they opened up their mouth. And all of a sudden, the people that's been stuck for 15 years start doing some work. The turning point was the release of God's word. <laughs> and so my question is, what did they say? What did Zechariah and Haggai say to get these people moving? Now, these, these two are minor prophets. And to get the context of what they said, you actually have a book that each one of them wrote that you can read about what they said. Now, I'm going to give you a bird's eye view of Haggai and Zechariah. Because this is important to understand what they prophesied. Because when you understand what they prophesied in context of Ezra chapter 5, you will have more power when you speak. So Haggai prophesies about the work. Zechariah prophesies to the workers. And you got to have a combination that some words are about the mission and some words about the messenger. Some words are about the work. Some words are about the workers. And when you have that combination, the kingdom of God advances rapidly. And oftentimes we only want to stay focused on one or the other. If you only focus on the work, you're going to wear out the people. If you only focus on the people, you're not going to get the work done. People walk around swollen in the spirit because they've been prophesied to, but they're not doing any work. 
And so what we find, Haggai, when he prophesies, Haggai's a minor prophet again. Haggai chapter 1, verse 13, I'm just going to highlight a couple of their prophecies. Haggai chapter 1, verse 13, he speaks to them and he says, and this is what the Lord says to them because you got to imagine this is the moment. They've been gathering around and some people may come and look at the foundation that they have built and they just look and then somehow this assembly was together. Haggai stands up and he begins to prophesy and this is one of the first things he said. Haggai chapter 1, verse 13, I am with you and this is the Lord's declaration. Yeah, I'm going to let that settle. Because I believe, I'm not trying to impress you, I want, I want to impact. The Lord declares to them, I am with you. <laughs> when Jesus incarnated, his name would be Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. Do you find Joshua, when he is about to go and take them into the promised land, God gave him a word, I am with you. You'll find the promise of God's presence goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And sometimes we have to be okay just knowing that he is with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. Go ahead, touch your neighbor and tell them he's with you. So Hagar prophesies. He makes this declaration. The Lord says, I am with you. Then Hagar prophesies, chapter 2, verse 9. Hagar, chapter 2, verse 9. He prophesies again. Because in this moment, understand that when they have built the foundation, the people of old that saw the temple that Solomon built, they saw the foundation in the beginnings of the work, and they began to weep because it wasn't how they remembered. But the people who had not seen it, they were just glad, and they began to shout. There was almost a moment of confusion of praise and weeping. Hagar prophesies to speak to those that are mourning and to those that are excited. And this is what he prophesies. He says, the final glory of this house will be greater than the first. Can I go ahead and exhort and help somebody? Greater is coming. Yep, greater, no matter how it looks right now, greater is coming. It might not look how it used to look. It might not be as beautiful to the world as it once was, but greater is still coming. How do I know this? Because he's not talking about the physical temple. He's talking about God doing a work inside of you. And when we get to this word, understand greater is coming. I even give you the license to go and prophesy that over your home. I dare you to go back after this prophetic gathering, this walk in, greater is coming. Your child cuss you out, look at him, greater is coming. Your boss gets on your nerves, greater is coming. The doctor gives you a bad report, greater is coming. So Hagar prophesies. He says, greater is coming. I know it doesn't look too much right now, but greater is coming. That helps me. Greater is coming. It'll allow you to sit in the midst of the storm and not work. Greater is coming. All right, let me... So Haggai, he prophesies about the work. He says, listen, you, you, look, we, got, we, we have to get to work. And greater is coming. You got to go to work. Then Zechariah, he, you know, he pulls up. And you kind of look at these guys like two uh, prophetic tow trucks, you know. You, 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 got, you got the children of Israel stuck in the ditch of life. And, and, and they, they pull up. And, and Zechariah said, I got the right side. Uh, and Haggai said, I got the left side. It's kind of like that scene in Remember the Titans. Strong side, left side, strong side, left side. I thought y'all might know more about that. You know, North Virginia, anyway. <laughs> and, and, and so, so Zachariah, you know, I'm telling you, when, when a good prophet prophesies, it inspires other people. 
Yeah. I think what they call it, the spirit of prophecy, where this resting in the place. Jim, uh, Jim Christian might prophesy, and everybody feel like they can prophesy. I feel like this around AJ sometimes. AJ get to prophesying at our church, and I just like, <laughs> AJ, watch this. <laughs> like, I just feel, I, <laughs> like, like, it just comes upon me. <laughs> you know, and it's almost like, you know, it's almost like a cipher. I don't know if y'all know what a cipher is. I was, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a product of hip-hop culture, and a cipher is you got a bunch of lyricists, and they just start jumping in, give me the mic, you know, take it away, you know, all that. Right, and, 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 and so Zachariah, he just hops in, he's like, ooh, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it. Let me go, let me go, let me go. <laughs> hey, guys, I ain't got that much to say. Zachariah said, whoa, I got some bars for him. All right. So Zechariah, he starts prophesying. Zechariah, he, he, he has some visions. He sees some weird stuff that has great implications. And let's get this bird's eye view of what Zechariah prophesies to help these people get unstuck. Zechariah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Zechariah chapter 2, 1 through 5, we find that they're looking at the temple and it doesn't look that good. But this is what the Lord prophesies to them. Because remember, Nehemiah comes back later after Ezra and rebuilds the wall. So where they're standing is in a vulnerable place in Jerusalem. They're standing in a vulnerable place because there are no walls. They're standing in a decrepit place because there is no temple. So they have no protection and they don't have any piety either. So Zechariah prophesies while they're standing in the midst of the rubble. While they're standing in the midst of the mess, he says, this is what the Lord says. The Lord says to them, I myself will be a wall of fire around it and I will be the glory within it. <laughs> He'll be a protective hedgerow around you. He says, I will be a fire around it. Come on, somebody. Hebrews chapter 13 says, our God is a consuming fire. That means you might not be able to see it, but to get to me, you got to come through him. And if you don't have the fire insurance, you just got torched. He says, I will be the fire. <laughs> that helps me. That lets me know no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That lets me know I'm not protected by physical protection. No, I have a spiritual protection. The fire of the living God. The same fire that Elijah called down. The same fire that Moses saw. I have protection. He's a fire around me. He's the glory within me. Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. Zechariah prophesies to him, let him know, you're not by yourself. Open up your eyes and see that there is more that is with you than those who are against you. And see, here's what I like about this. Zechariah prophesies to deal with our affliction and to deal with our adversary. Mm -hmm. Because we're at the prophetic gathering, we get spiritual here. All right. So there's no spooky stuff. Let me just tell you where some of your language came from. Now we have an adversary, Satan, who walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Some of the most popular spiritual warfare language we have in Christendom comes from Zechariah. So we find the high priest, Zerubbabel, uh, Joshua, Yeshua is his name in here. We find that he, he is, he, he, Zechariah has his vision. And the, and the high priest, he, is, he has these filthy clothes on him. And he comes before God. And then it says, Satan came along with him, accusing him. And this is what it says. It didn't say the high priest turned around and rebuked Satan. It says this. The Lord said, Satan, the Lord rebukes you. I 
I am not about saint, I'm not about demon, uh, demonizing everything, but some stuff you go through, it's Satan. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, the Lord rebukes Satan, not you. He gives you the power. It's not your power. It's his power. And so he says the one who's accusing you, the one who's causing the internal oppression, I rebuke him. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against spirits and principalities. But aren't you glad that before you took your first breath on earth, that God already released a word from heaven, that the Satan, the Satan our enemy is already rebuked? I get excited about that. Now, now here's the thing. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Zechariah still, I told you, Zechariah, but he gets in a groove. And when somebody, when when a prophet gets in a groove, you just get ready. They're going to read your mail. They're going to exhort you. You're going to cry. You're going to fall out. You're going to get back up. You're going to roll over. There's going to be a lot. Snot bubbles, anointing oil. Just lay your hands on me. At this point, you done took your shoes off because you're on holy ground. You done took your coat off. If somebody else had put their coat on you and said, there's a new mantle. Y'all, listen. <laughs> listen. I don't know what you came to the prophetic gathering for. I came to receive something. You see? <laughs> listen, at some point, all right, okay. So Zechariah prophesies, right? He gets in the groove. And Zechariah, when he prophesies, he says this, and here's the context, Zechariah 4, 6. Understand that God calls us to do things that we can't do ourselves. In other words, God wants us to believe so big, if he does not intervene, we'll fall flat on our face. Yeah. If I can do it without God's intervention, I'm not answering God's call. Yeah, talk about a life of faith. So they have to look at this temple that Solomon built with unlimited resources. And they have limited resources. They've been in exile for 70 years. And they have to rebuild this. And this is what Zechariah prophesies to them in Zechariah 4, 6. He says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God. Your next season... Won't be by might, won't be by power, but it'll be by the spirit of the living God. And when you recognize Jesus purchased you and made you a temple for the Holy Spirit, you will live with a confidence that I'm not expecting to be strong enough. I'm not expecting to be powerful enough, but there's a power on the inside of me. The world didn't give and the world can't take away. So next time somebody say, not by might nor by power, you got to see his generations being redeemed by that word. You got to see as a country being turned around by that word. You got to see as a people that's been sitting there for 15 years. That's all of a sudden going to get up and start rebuilding. Zechariah prophesies. He goes into Zechariah chapter 8. He says, now look, when, it's, when you guys get good and going, there's going to be nations that are going to come and follow you to the temple. They're going to come to worship your God. They're going to literally hold on to your coattail so you can teach them how to worship. I believe part of the reason why you're here is that there are going to be nations, there are going to be generations, there are going to be people, there's going to be people of every nation and tongue that's going to attach to the movement. And they're going to be asking, how do we worship the living God? It's very difficult to take people to a place you have not been. But when you've been there, you bring them in with joy. You start pointing out the details because you paid attention. 
<coughs> I remember when, uh, when you all were, were, were constructing this beautiful edifice, uh, sanctuary. You know, it's one thing going through with different people, but when you go through with Pastor Brett, you get details. Now, I never really knew how important this detail was. We go through, and he said, sit down. Of course, he said, sit down. I'm going to sit down. He was like, stand back up. I was like, all right. I was going to get my squats in. <laughs> he said, did you hear anything? Mm-mm. He said, yeah, so we have chairs that don't squeak when you sit down and you stand up. I said, mm. <laughs> Y'all know what the Virginia fans. <laughs> and you know what? Because he'd been here, that, that little detail was very important. Now, because he exposed me to it, every time people sit down in our church, <laughs> mm-hmm. AJ, let's order some WD-40. Then when y'all go through, when our prayer team go through and pray, don't take anointing oil, take WD-40. Call that a commercial break. I'm going to highlight one more, one, more, one more prophecy from Zechariah. And, 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 and with this, this might lead us to, to, to go ahead and uh, go to lunch, okay? Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah's prophesying. And he says, O daughter of Zion, your king is coming. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. O daughter of Zion, what you're working on right now is not for the kings you see. You got to understand some stuff about the context. They came in, Tatanai was the governor, the pseudo king, but he wasn't a king appointed by God. You got to understand that they missed Solomon. He was the last great king. You got to understand that they just came out of the kings from Babylon and Assyria. And so when he says, oh, daughter of Zion, your king is coming, he's not talking about just any old king. He's not talking about David. He's not talking about Hezekiah. He's not talking about Darius. He's not talking about Artaxerxes. Oh, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When he says your king is coming, family, we build like this, not to impress anybody here on this earth. We build like this because our king is coming. And when our king comes in, we want to be able to present his bride without a spot nor wrinkle. When he comes back riding on that white horse, we want to say He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. I don't build my wealth on things temporary, but things eternal. Hey, when God speaks a word, it changes your perspective. It puts you in a place that the impossible becomes possible. It puts you in a place where you're not even operating under your own volition. You're just operating under the spirit of God. That's that unction that we're talking about. Prophetic power gets you out of your stuck place. (laughs) James chapter, James chapter two, uh, it says James chapter two, verse 18 and 19. um, It says like this, actually 18 through 20. He says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now, I've lifted you up, got you excited, but let me tell you, if you only just get this word and do not do any work, you will stay stuck. 
Yes, because what we find in verse 2 of Ezra chapter 5, it says that Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, and Joshua, son of Jozadak, began to rebuild God's house in Jerusalem. And here's the thing, family. The prophets of God were with them, helping them. There's a shift that's moving towards demonstration. It won't just be proclamation, but it'll be a point where more people start rolling up their sleeves and start getting to work. It'd be a point where you'll find leaders that's not just telling people to disciple, but they're discipling too. It's a point where you're not just calling a corporate fast, but I'm fasting too. When you see this moment, this was a shift. They hadn't had many dignitaries and people in leadership to join in and work with them. And so what I'm telling you to, uh, this morning, family, is it's time to get your hands dirty. Don't just take the word and have faith. Uh-uh. Faith without works is dead. Freedom, deliverance can happen in a moment. But a lifestyle and longevity of freedom takes your participation. See, our theme this year at our church is we partner with God. We just believe when we partner with God, we'll see Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 happen. That he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask, think, or even imagine. According to the power that works in us. Now, I want to leave you with this word of instruction. Get to work. Get to work. If you receive some level of deliverance this, this, this weekend, some level of freedom, some level of release to operate in your gift, now you do your due diligence. Be faithful and be faith-filled. Faithful, be diligent, be disciplined. Faith-filled, be dependent upon God. If God delivers you from an addiction, do your just due to change things when you get home. If God delivers you from, from ideologies and things that's going on in your mind, do your due diligence to read his word. Read your Bible every day. These are the patterns that helps you feel the rut that you've been stuck in. One person described addiction like this. It creates a rut in your brain. And you have to continue to go to that substance or either that activity to feel that rut. And that begins to be psychological addiction. Where then psychologically your body begins to respond, then you have a physiological response to the rut that's in your brain. And it seems to be that that rut is, it cannot be filled by anything else except for God. So even the original 12 steps told us we got to come back to a higher power that can restore us to our sanity. But don't you know that there's nothing new under the sun? Therefore, my brethren, hey... Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That the Lord is calling us that when you receive prophetic word, that it should transform the way you think. Don't go into a new season living the old way. And that's what the Israelites had to find out. Don't go into a new season living the old way. Don't put new wine into old wine skins. This weekend is meant to get you unstuck so you can move forward. There's a temple waiting to be built. There's a work that's, re that's ready to be done. And God is saying, don't just hear it, but do it. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning? Yeah. Matter of fact, can we stand to our feet? Let's give God a hand clap of praise real quick. Come on, let's make his praise big. Come on, can you open up your mouth? Give him the fruit of your lips. Hallelujah. Family, I believe that there are some of us that have been in that stuck place. And God is saying that this is your moment where I'm about to move you forward. I am sending you word 
that it won't be by might, it won't be by power, but it'll be by my spirit. I'm sending you confirmation. I am with you. I'm sending you confirmation that the work that I've begun, I am going to complete it. Family, I just want to speak some promises over you. You are above and not beneath. You are the head and not the tail. You are more than a conqueror. You have been infused with the power of Christ. You can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Understand your prosperity is his platform. He desires to prosper you in good health. He desires to prosper you and not condemn you. He has given you mercy in your time of need. He has given you grace that is sufficient. These words are words not that I made up, but that God has spoken. I believe that there is freedom that's just dropping in some of our lives right now. There is new mindsets that are being awakened right now. Darkened eyes being opened, deaf ears being opened, hardened hearts being softened. Lord, we thank you for your word. For it is living, it is powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's a discerner between flesh and spirit. Lord, as you have done open heart surgery on us this morning, while outside we may look like we're free, we don't want to look like we're free. We want to be free. We don't want, we want to be free from bondage. We want to be free to run the race that you set out for us. So Lord, we set aside every sin and weight that easily entangles us and we fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Family, while we're in this moment of prayer, let me remind you that there was another place where the enemy thought that he had got us stuck in a rut. He had crucified Jesus on a cross and stuck him in a grave. But three days later, he rose with all power in his hands, with a name that's above every name. And that same resurrection power, is, it resides in us and for us. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, think about what he can do for you. Think about what he can do in your family. If you're here this morning and maybe it's a word that was spoken by Pastor AJ. Maybe it's a word that was spoken by Pastor Jim. Maybe it was something that you just heard. And you're saying, you know what? I need to respond. I need to receive it. I need to have an action of faith. I want you to just raise your hand wherever you are. Raise your hand wherever you are. And you, you know what you're receiving. And if there's something that you need to lay aside, I dare you just open up your mouth. You don't have to scream it, but go ahead and speak it. This is what I'm laying aside. This is, where I, this is what I'm being freed from. This, go ahead and, this is what I'm stepping into. Come on, right there, right there. Come on, the Lord sees those hands that are lifted. My hands are lifted up. My heart is ready to receive a blessing from you today, Lord. Father, as our hands are lifted up in this place, we lift our hands first in surrenderance. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We cast all our cares upon you because you care. We lift our hands in surrenderance, reminding ourselves and clearing our hearts and saying that you are our Lord. Take your rightful place in our hearts. Hallelujah. Lord, we believe that when you are in your rightful place, everything else begins to fall in this rightful place. 
Your promises are bigger than our problems. Our struggles are only training for the strength that you have for us. Lord, we also lift our hands up, not just in surrenderance, but Lord, we lift our hands up in victory today. For the victory that you have won, you have allowed us to inherit. So as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, thanks be unto God who gives us victory in all things. We are persuaded that neither life nor death, neither angels nor principalities, neither things present nor things to come can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Thank you, Jesus, for being our way maker. Thank you for being our provider. Thank you for being Jehovah Sikhanu, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha. Lord, we thank you for being our everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.